Hello and welcome to another episode of IBD Heal, a podcast brought to you by High Carb Health. I'm your host Shakul and today we are speaking with Dr. Nick Wright. And today's episode is very interesting because we're going to be talking all about fasting, the pros and cons, how to do it, what to be aware of. Now let me introduce you to Dr. Nick Wright. Dr. Nick is a graduate of the University of Otago Medical School. He is board certified with the International Board of Lifestyle Medicine and the New Zealand College of General Practitioners. He has previously published on plant-based diets. Nick is the co-creator of a website called Plant-Based Videos, providing video courses to teach individuals about adopting a plant-based diet. He currently works as a general practitioner and serves on the Wellington Two Aura Health Board, which is a non-profit primary care network whose members serve patients within the Wellington region. Hope you enjoy the episode, guys. Take care. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm joined here by Dr. Nick Wright. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Fantastic. Now, Dr. Nick Wright is a good friend and he's um, been doing a lot of amazing work in the field of plant-based nutrition. He's a published researcher and uh, we're very excited to talk about a few different topics with him today. But first of all, uh, let's hear a little bit about your background, Nick, and um, we'll take it from there. Sure. So I am a GP. I have um, went to uh, so I went to medical school in New Zealand in Otago, and um, and then I went um, and worked in Brisbane post post graduation. Uh, did my GP training there and have worked um, also in Dunedin and then in Wellington. Um, and in between doing sort of the hospital-based work and um, GP work, I've been doing some research and been involved with various aspects of lifestyle medicine, um, which, is, which is the future, really. So it's good to get in early. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely finding there's a lot more to it than just drugs and um you know treatments and things like that there's a lot more to health than that and um yeah i think yeah. there's a lot of people are finding that out and realizing that um, you're not going to solve all your problems um if you don't look mm-hmm. at your entire lifestyle making dietary changes and other lifestyle changes as well mm-hmm. and 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 even back in medical school i mean I've, maybe we get into it uh, later but i i've had i mean i can recall some experiences talking about some pretty straightforward lifestyle medicine uh, principles and um, just sort of approaching them with enthusiasm and some skepticism and wanting to talk about them with um, some colleagues and just it's verboten you couldn't you couldn't discuss these things at all so yeah it's changed now yeah yeah it is changing um and um, yeah we'll definitely talk about some of your experiences um let's just start out with some of the the work you've done and and we won't talk about too much because there's a lot of a lot of information out there about some of the studies published. One, they obviously the most uh, well-known one is the broad study. Um, if you could briefly just talk about some of your some of the work you've done, and then we can talk about um, you know experiences um, at um, a lifestyle medicine clinic, True North Health Center in California. I want to really hear about that and how they do things and yeah. what you thought of it, um, and then we'll, yeah. we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah, so the, um, the broad study, um, I'll, I'll tell you some of the stuff that, that wasn't in the, uh, in the article, that might make it a bit more interesting. So um, the broad study, we, um, 
that was done, gosh, a few years ago now. So, um, you know, working in hospital in Brisbane, um, there were just so many people with chronic disease coming in, diabetes, heart disease, and it was really just sad, you know, thinking, mm. gosh, there's got to be a better way to be approaching this. So um, I, I'd always been interested in research and started looking at setting up a study. And the original um, idea I was thinking would be to, uh, I, I, I really liked um, Warnish's lifestyle heart trial, and then Esselstyn's work, Dr. Esselstyn's work on um, his, you know, his long-term outcomes for cardiovascular disease, both of which were really impressive. So I started um, kind of setting up a trial to, to actually repeat, um, essentially repeat that study, because um, one of the big problems with medicine is uh, a lack of um, repeated analysis on slightly different data sets, but essentially part of the, the scientific method is taking a hypothesis and testing it and then also confirming it through a separate analysis. So this is kind of what I yeah, wanted and, to and questioning actually, And questioning what you know, right? Yeah, not just accepting yeah, it as truth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's challenge this a little bit. Let's look at it again. Um, you know, they say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and maybe there was a bit of that in there. <laughs> but um, So I, I thought that that would be a great study to do and started setting up um, a trial looking at, at heart disease, looking at, okay, can we get some um, really good interventions for heart disease? And it turned out that, um, that the clinic that we uh, ended up working with didn't have enough patients with heart disease for us to do that, that trial. So um, if you were looking at both Esselstyn and um, Warnish's um, trials, they had a significant number of patients with very advanced heart disease. And we just couldn't recruit them from this population that we had. So um, I had to go, oh, gosh, what are we going to do? And we, we ended up changing it to um, include um, diabetes and obesity. And so it wasn't set up as an obesity trial. Um, but, we, but after discussing with um, you know, the external peer review process, you kind of go through this process when you're registering a trial and you say, this is what we want to do. And, and some of the feedback we had from some of the academic advisors was actually you're going to struggle to get um, the endpoints for heart disease given your, your patient population. So the, the most obvious thing here would be to make it a trial um, looking at weight loss and, and shifting that and making that as your primary endpoint, uh, which we did. And then um, we got, you know, we got great results with that. So um, I, when, I, when I started writing up the article, I think I started writing it up and uh, it must have been I don't know, like September or December or something. I just started, you know, wrote, wrote, wrote a draft and everything, and then, um, and then I start, and then you know, once we had the first analysis of the results, it's like, oh gosh, we've got we've got really good weight loss results. It's really interesting. And then I started going through the literature of like some of the, the big studies that I knew and, and the you know the, the better known ones, and I was like, oh well, you know, let's see, let's see what their weight loss is, and and uh, and there, <laughs> there was no one with better weight loss. I was like, this is weird. And, hmm. and so I kept looking and I looked for, I looked for a year, a solid year, like I was reading and searching and I did multiple library, like I, I got, you know, the librarians involved and we did a, a good review of uh, just trying to find um, other weight loss outcomes and I couldn't find any better ones. So I was like, well, this is interesting, isn't it? So we didn't, we didn't set out with that as the goal, but that's, that's what we ended up with. Um, and so it ended up being a significant weight loss results um, and through discussions that I've had with people over the years, people would say, oh, but, 
you know, you might live longer, but you'll hate every second of it or something like that, you know, just, just throwaway comments. And, and so I thought, well, you know what, let's add in our quality of life tool and let's test our food enjoyment. And then other people would say, yeah, but it's so expensive, we can't do that. I was like, okay, well, let's chuck in a, um, you know, check how expensive everything is and look at all food costs and, and so on. Um, and so we tried to sort of target Oh, and then the other ones, you know, exercise, people say, oh, yeah, but exercise is the main reason. And so we put in an exercise thing. So basically, it was designed around um, my experiences of sort of criticisms of years of people saying, you know, it won't work for this reason. And I was like, well, thank you very much. This is very good. I'll make sure we add that to the study. <laughs> so, so we ended up with a study which asked the question, you know, what's the weight loss? And is it from exercise? No. Do you increase your food costs? No. Um, do you have a worse quality of life? Actually, the reverse. Um, do you have uh, decreased food enjoyment? No. So it was like basically saying, look, you can do this, and it leads to uh, no clear negative outcomes and some very clear positive outcomes. Yeah. So, so there's been yeah. there hasn't been a single study in the history of journals, medical journals, that showed better weight loss results than your broad study. Well, that's that's to my knowledge and your knowledge. I mean, in some ways, that's not in some ways that's not saying a lot because mm. um, there aren't that many studies out there that actually target lifestyle interventions. So, right. but yeah. the, the problem is these things are hard to do and they're mm. quite expensive. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a lot of this is just charity work. So, people putting in a lot of time and effort um, mm. for free, and yeah. that's hard to get people to do. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that. You know, you could design a trial which would have superior outcomes to the broad study. I could think of ways that we could improve upon that. Um, but it essentially is, is setting a new gold standard mm -hmm. for this mm -hmm. is how you should approach a plant-based lifestyle intervention. Um, yeah. And that was based largely on, you know, the experiences I had with Dr. McDougall, who was, mm -hmm. you know, very kindly um, had me, you know, as a medical student and hosted me um, during my time in the US. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, based on based on uh, the experiences and, and teachings of, of some of these gurus who've been doing this for a very long time. Um, we basically took that, distilled it, made a trial that you know reflected up-to-date uh, evidence. But since then, there's been some other stuff that's come out. And I think, I think basically the skeleton's there. I don't think you're gonna get much better than that. I think, um, I think that you could do you could do better, but you'd have to you'd have to change a few key ingredients and mm -hmm. you know do essentially kind of like what you're doing, you know, a bit more tailored one-on-one -on -one work. I think. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that would be the next level, and I don't think you I don't think you're probably going to get much better results than what we had um, without without changing some other key ingredients. Or you know, there there are, there are a few things I could think of, but it's it's too difficult to go into. So yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. And so. Yeah, I mean, you went to the, you've done some work in the US. You said you worked with Dr. McDougall. You've been to the True North Health Center. Just talk to us about what that's like and, and how, did they, um, how do they look at health in a different way to most of the medical professions? Yeah, okay. So I, um, I started reading about plant-based nutrition during medical school. And um, part of it is, you know, you, you're, you're reading about health on the one hand and, and medical school is very much focused on disease 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 and so i was hearing this stuff in class on one day and then i'd be reading about reading these you know these books or looking at some of this early stuff that was coming out from the plant-based world and i was thinking why is no one talking about health like, isn't this what we're here for like are we supposed to be health practitioners so 
I, I was very interested in exploring this and I, and, I, and I wasn't getting satisfactory answers. So I, I came in, I had no horse in this race. Like I, I was not fussed as to what was the most effective thing for health. I just wanted to learn about that. And so I started looking at um, you know, Dr. McDougall's work. He's you know, a huge pioneer in this area, for, you know, mm. pioneer for the last sort of half century, really. There, you know, there were others before him, um, Pritikin and Kempner and so on, but um, he, he was you know, sort of foundational for the lifestyle movement in the last 50 years. Um, and so I um, got in touch with Dr. McDougall. Um, this was back in the day when people could still travel internationally. And said to him, uh, you know, be really interested in coming and seeing what your, what your clinic does and how it all works. And, um, and he said, yes, sure, come along. And he basically hosted me for free. Um, you know, they put you up in a hotel room and you just have to like do some intern work with them. Um, so you did, you know, did the 10 day program and then did the weekend thing and then did the, you know, the smaller programs. And, um, and you know, you're, you're doing a lot of work um, trying to be helpful because by that time you're almost finished as a doctor, you know, or finished your training as a doctor. So, um, you know, you're somewhat helpful. Um, and he said, look, I don't have the capacity to host you for your whole three, three and a half month elective. So um, get in touch with these guys down the road, True North. Um, they, they're a fasting center and I think this will really open your eyes as well. And uh, so I went and stayed there as well. So True North um, Health Center, just based in Santa Rosa there. Uh, so that was, um, that was a pretty eye-opening experience too. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, heard a lot. And unfortunately, um, I made a slight error judgment when I was in San Francisco in 2019 because I had the, probably had the opportunity to go and visit there. And I just thought, oh, you know, I'll go the next time I'm there. And since then, I haven't been able to go back, you know, because we were planning to go to the, you know, yearly to go to the medical conferences in the US. And I thought, okay, next time I'll talk to Dr. Goldhammer and, and, and book a time to go and actually visit. Um, but that hasn't yet. I'm sure I will at some point, uh, but it hasn't eventuated as yet. But I'd love to hear about your experience and, and what you learned from, from watching what I think is probably one of the best ways of actually dealing with uh, people who are unwell and helping them recover and, and, and getting to the root cause of what their problems are. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, um, Dr. Hammer, Dr. Goldhammer, Dr. Lyle, um, Dr. Clapper, mm -hmm. Dr. Gershfield, um, there are a lot of great doctors there and they're all you know, then they have a, a number of other stuff too. So, you know, kudos to them. I'm, I'm not naming more, but mm -hmm. um, they, they, they do some really amazing stuff. I mean, I, I went there with an open mind, um, a bit skeptical, but, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I'd read some of the basic stuff. But, you know, um, Dr. Goldhammer sent some reading before so oh, yeah. to get up to school. <laughs> so, you know, some of his textbook chapters and, you know, this, that, and the other. So, you know, I, I, had, I had some familiarity with, with obviously the biochemistry and the, and the sort of pathways that we've learned at medical school and then um, actually the, um, some of the clinical literature on it, um, which was pretty early at that time. I mean, this is 2011, I think, 2012 maybe. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went in with an open mind. I saw what they were doing and I, I haven't seen anything like it. I mean, there, mm. there are very few places in, in the world where the medical system actually makes people better and this was night and day difference and it, it was it was incredible 
I mean, it's hard to explain this to my colleagues because they've never experienced anything like this. They've never seen patients go in so sick to a place and come out so well. And it just does not happen in medicine. In medicine, we're trying to, you know, if someone goes in with an infection, okay, we fix them with antibiotics. That you know, they had a, you know, an acute bacterial infection. We fix that. We do that very well. You know, mm-hmm. acute emergency medicine, we do a very good job of that. Absolutely. Um, chronic disease management, not so much. And people are waking up to this. You know, doctors um, in New Zealand are salaried. They're not paid by big pharma or whatever. You know, they've gotten rid of all those sort of relationships and so on to a large degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is, you know, this is a group of people who are smart and hardworking and want to do the best for their patients. And they, they will figure it out. Um, and so that's why lifestyle medicine has been growing. But mm. going there in 2012, after you know six years of, of hardcore indoctrination <laughs> in the medical system, was you know was something. So you know, going through medicine is you have this enculturation of this is how things are, and this is a chronic progressive disease, and this is, this will only get worse. And and so um even mm. reading the china study you can already get a glimpse of that's not necessarily the case but yeah. that's more about um if you have this uh, if you have these exposures you'll get this disease and if you don't have these exposures you might not get this disease but it's less about you know disease reversal he does mention that stuff but not not as much and mm. so um actually seeing people go in there and um and and, and get better was remarkable yeah, I mean, people find it hard to believe that, you know, when people work with us, they actually come out the other side, not needing any of their medications anymore for inflammatory bowel yeah. disease. And yeah. um, they find it really hard to believe that chemise is the medication free for nine years. They just can't believe it. They keep saying, what medication are you on? How can you not be on any medication? They're just, yes. you know, yes. it's a and really... That's the model. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, that's the model, isn't it? I mean, the model is someone has a disease, and then you know this disease has got multiple pathways and, and many mechanisms that kind of combine into a, a range of clinical symptoms, um, and we target a certain pathway with a certain drug, and then we target a certain pathway with another drug, and we're trying to minimise the progression of this disease, and sometimes very very effectively, but also sometimes with a lot of side effects, or sometimes you know with limited efficacy. Mm. So. Um, we, yeah, I mean, the drugs and things are, are very helpful and they've saved a lot of people's lives over the years and they've been, they've been very good. But the lifestyle stuff is something that's just not really been talked about and, and, and it deserves to be discussed. And I think the way that we get there is with good research, which is slowly happening, but mm. um, not nearly fast enough, really. There's definitely a time and place for, for, for drugs um, in certain situations, but I think you need to... Uh, you know as, as it says on the on on the box right temporary relief of symptoms um y- you need to actually find out okay this is going to buy me some time so that i can work out how to solve this problem i think that should be the goal if we can use the medical system and and as well as lifestyle medicine to actually coexist and say okay let's treat this person so they can get into remission and then let's work with them so then they can improve their outcomes. We try and get some end organ benefits and um, actually get them off the medicine that should, I mean, I think the goal of every doctor should be trying to help people get off those medications or they put them on um, and, and work out a plan instead of just relying on the medication as the stop gap that will just yeah. keep them, give them some kind of quality of life, but not really um, for years and years and years on end. 
I mean, that's a very, uh, I mean, that's a good hypothesis and a good approach, isn't it? But I don't think that's, that's not being integrated into the medical system. You know, we, we don't have that approach. And so uh, de-prescribing is, is not that, you know, well taught and well, mm. you, know, it, you have to be a, a pretty brave doctor to be stopping medications rather than starting them. It's easy to start medications. Um, but, you know, like stopping medications is another, is another thing. Um, mm. Why is that? So, um, I don't know. I've thought about this and I'm, I'm not sure. It's almost like, um, I almost wonder if it's one of those sort of, um, psychological things about loss aversion, you know, people fear the, fear the negative outcome rather than, you know, a, another positive one. So maybe they're afraid that if they, they stop medication and then the patient suffers a negative outcome, um, then that will be as a direct result of the medication. You know, if someone as an example, if someone had like a very, very high risk of stroke, like their risk of having a stroke in the next year was like 50% or something because they mm. smoke and they drink and they've got a terrible diet and don't exercise. Mm. Mm. And then you add in the medication which reduces their, their stroke risk by 15, or, you know, decreases their stroke risk by 15%. Then, um, then if they change their lifestyle and they're no longer smoking, drinking and, and so on, then their background risk has changed, but it might not, might not be zero. And then, um, that's not that's not going to be a very well researched group. People who are very unwell, who are now much, you know, much healthier generally, um, how much do they need this medication or not? And so we want to try and make research based decisions and mm -hmm. evidence based decisions. And if mm -hmm. there is evidence for a benefit of this medication, then okay. But but then if someone's being harmed by it, then we need to to sort of reevaluate. Well, I've spoken um, to doctors in the US, and 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 they are at risk of getting sued if something happens to the to the patient, right? So. They tell me if I take someone off their medication, well, and something happens to them, they're going to sue me. Hey, how come you took that medication off? And then I'm going to maybe lose my practice and things like that. So the fear, fear of yeah. the negative outcome. You're probably right. That's probably what it is. It's, it's the fear of the negative yeah. outcome. I, I was meaning more fear of the negative outcome for the patient. <laughs> no, no, that's so, I do. I know that that's what I'm talking about is the fear of the negative yeah, outcome yeah, for the patient, thing, and, yeah. and then it has the flow-on yeah. effects. You know, um, for the people in the US, yeah. probably not so much for 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 New Zealand or you know, doctors sure. who've got a more centralized health system, but. Well, New Zealand, you can still be um, struck off and you can still be sued in New Zealand for gross negligence. Right. So yeah. gross negligence is, I think, mm -hmm. what um, So, you know, occasionally you get doctors being sued for gross negligence. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I'll just, I'll just go back to this, the True North part of it. So uh, True North um, had some, some really incredible outcomes. Like I'd see patient, patients would, would have, uh, very, very, very bad inflammatory arthritis, um, very bad inflammatory bowel disease. There were a couple of patients while I was here. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there were some patients with like cancer and things, and we didn't really see much improvement in the time that I was there. So it wasn't a panacea. We weren't, weren't getting 100% improvements with everyone, but there were, there, there were some remarkable turnarounds for some patients. Um, so I mean, the, the fasting stuff is really quite powerful. Yeah, and so I mean, when we were at the your you know the medical conference you held in in Gisborne, um, when was this? Two thousand nineteen. Um, was that the last one? Must have been. Um, yeah. You did talk pre about fasting. <laughs> yeah, pre-COVID. Um, and um, I think you've got some really interesting stats on COVID that you want to share later on in the session. But um, the 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 information that you 
kind of there is a bit of research coming out around fasting and stuff. Do you want to briefly touch on how you know what the research shows around what you saw at True North? Like what does what's happening in the body and maybe when people do fast and how does the body heal? So some of the um, some of the interesting publications that have come that have come out were, um, for example, um, Campbell's study on um, hypertension. He showed mm-hmm. the largest effect on hypertension of any clinical intervention, full stop. So, I mean, and the blood pressure stuff was remarkable. I mean, mm. you'd see patients and they would be, you know, it's coming in, you know, systolic with the top number of blood pressure, 170, 180, 180, 180, and they're fasting. They're just drinking water for 10 days. And then, or, or they might, you know, might be on quite a long fast. So the, the, this clinic does, you know, they might do juice fast. For some people, they just drink juices and things, or mm. some places they, they, they drink water. Um, and, and then they would, they'd be drinking this water and I'd be sitting there going, well, what's water going to do? You know, like, <laughs> like how is this going to help? And, um, and then, you know, and then I was taking their blood pressure every day and I saw, I'd see it. It'd be 180, 180, 180, 180, 180. This person who's had high blood pressure, like really, really dangerously high blood pressure for years. And then day 12, boom, 120. And then it would just stay like that. So, so it wouldn't I, progressively I, drop. It would just be like 180 and then, or would it actually progressively oh, no, come down? I think, oh, gosh, you're stretching my memory a bit. Yeah, I think yeah. for a lot of patients, it was, it was probably progressive. But I remember this one one lady in particular who, who mm. had that that sort of sequence of events. And I, I, I mean, this is this is remarkable stuff. Like I, I'd never seen that before. And mm. but, and and like I say, like my colleagues are right to be skeptical about this stuff. Like I can't I can't say they shouldn't have been skeptical because I was very skeptical. <laughs> and then I saw it with my own eyes, and I was like, oh, okay, mm. right, well what's going on here this is this is a this is a data point which is a real outlier in terms of my experience and knowledge here so mm. what's happening and mm. um and you know dr clapper's theory on this is that there's, there's just some vascular stiffness that's happening um and there's maybe some uh you know like these different layers of the of the blood vessel and so in the what we call the media um he was he was thinking and that's with the the um the smooth muscles that, that keeps them up, you know, the blood, the blood is contract. Um, so he was suggesting that there might be some, um, some, some inflammation happening in the media layer or, or maybe some uh, salt accumulation there. And then after a certain amount of time fasting, you've, you've just, um, because you're drinking water, you're basically um, rebalancing your electrolytes. Your body is getting used to operating on less added salt into your diet. And so, you know, they're passing a lot of fluid frequently and eventually, it comes out mm. i don't i don't know i mean i don't know the theory into uh, well i don't know the um how it works well, i can give you some insight because i've been doing a lot of research on on how the body yeah, heals um just through my experience watching people get better and um you know i mean dr gregor even talks about it you know some of the stuff you know the biggest kept secret in medicine is the body can heal itself you know mm. and we need to give it the right conditions so you know if you if you take away the things that are harming the body and you're only drinking water and the body is capable of you know healing certain damages and um you know i think you know we, we're all well aware that you know if you fall over and you graze your knee the skin's going to repair but for some reason we think that something happens on the inside we think that's irreparable you know but you know as you know it's, it's quite clever the way dr Greger talks about it you know if you kept banging your shin against <laughs> or hitting your knee with a hammer or something like that you know it's never going to heal um so once we take away the cause the root cause of the problem 
then you allow the body to start working more effectively and it actually is able to repair some of that damage and in a lot of cases it can repair majority of that damage um that was caused and for some people it can't but it's not it's not that common where it, it can't you know you've got to be long you know and cancer is one of those things where you know you can be too far gone sometimes um for the body to try and try and heal um but in a lot of cases it does and a lot of you know there's so many stories of people having stage four cancer and then you know and, and then it going away over time you know things like that so um yeah we're, we're quite big proponents that you know you give the body the right conditions and it can heal itself and 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 the right conditions it's not just diet right it's obviously diet plays a role but it but if you put someone on water they can heal so it's not diet isn't the primary factor you know and then you got hydration you've got sleep you've got exercise you got and and what it was down to is lifestyle medicine in the end at the end of the day mental health you know um so that's that's the way we look at it and that's how we see regularly in in the people that we work with yeah i mean i think i think the sort of natural hygiene hypothesis has a lot to offer i think um i think that uh you know the the absence of bad is a very sensible um a sensible approach isn't it um fasting fasting um you know like as a as a as a doctor a little bit of a careful with um making sort of extrapolations beyond their uh, um, limited evidence and yeah. so i'd be careful with, with um, claims around cancer and i'd be careful with claims around um long-term outcomes and things when, when they just when the data just doesn't exist and so what we need what we need to support um you know to support people in making healthier changes is, is good data but mm. part of the issue here is is getting funding for research is quite difficult and so um when you're looking to run a trial which is looking at some of these you know, natural hygiene hypotheses which you're talking about you know so oh, mm. why don't we take away all the bad stuff and just give them good things and that's essentially you know the fundamentals for either a plant-based diet or, or fasting mm. um then you know that i mean these, these are great things to do in principle but um seeing that seeing that you know come out in a, in a trial like a well-run rigorous trial is Mm. they're hard to do and they're expensive and they take a lot of time yeah yep. and 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 so i guess I'm there's no vested interest is there i mean you can't you can't sell a product or you can't make tons of money giving this kind of yeah, solution well, to people <laughs> well i mean that's a great point i mean so <laughs> if i if i'd made a pill that got the same results as the broad study i'd be oh, very mate. very well <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be sitting here talking to me <laughs> Oh man, it's just, uh, it just you might be, you yeah. might be, but I mean, you know, like it's it would be an unreal, it would be the biggest thing ever. I mean, if and so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, research about like the semiglutide and the, the rigatude and stuff at the moment that's going through the literature, and um, the weight loss that they're getting is comparable to what we were getting with their trials. Um, mm -hmm. And 80 percent of the people are getting gastrointestinal discomfort or side effects. Um, so you know, this is a sort of once weekly injection that helps people with. Of losing weight mm. um and, and so you know there there are like there are um interventions out there and um and obviously not everyone wants to do uh, a, a strict whole food plant-based diet or you know start exercising regularly or um mm. you know i mean the fasting stuff i i mean i don't tend to offer the fasting stuff to my patients no um, neither do we because there's no like if there, if there wasn't a clinical if there wasn't an evidence-based 
uh, reason for it, then I then I then I just be clear with my patients and say, look, there's not good evidence for this, but this might be the reason, you know, why we should consider. And I think I think you know, you've raised a very important point because I was going to talk to you about this because fasting is not risk free, and you shouldn't necessarily do it by yourself if you don't know what you're doing or you're not supervised. Like you know, if you go to True North, they've done it so many times. They can they'll have the indications by checking your vitals to know, That's okay, right. when do we start? When do you stop? Should you do it at all? All that kind of stuff. So we don't actually offer fasting to any of our clients because they're across the other side of the world most of the time. And mm. I can't check your vitals, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, so there, you shouldn't just do it because someone said it's a good idea because there are risks to it as well, aren't there? I mean, this is, this is a problem in a couple of senses. I mean, so, um, Dr. Stark in Christchurch is doing guided fasts for you know several days, and um, and so like I think like you know thirty or forty eight hours and stuff. I think most people could do thirty. That's probably okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll I'll preface that by saying like a lengthy fast, more than three or four days, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And so I mean, there's, there's issues, especially around people with medications, or um, mm. you know, uh, if someone hasn't been properly assessed, you know, they're like medical and physical. Um, but then, but then on top of that, like, I mean, when you go to True North, you sign this lengthy disclaimer, which is basically like, you know, there's, <laughs> there is, you know, you, you, you're, you're signing your life away. It's you know, big, heavy document, and, you know, thump it down in front of you. I mm-hmm. mean, not, not actually, but, you know, but it's, uh, it's um, basically a, a big disclaimer because, you know, it, it seems to be fairly low risk. I mean, they did a publication yeah. on this and they put thousands of people through their protocol and their protocol appears to be um, pretty low risk in terms of adverse mm. events. Um, mm. But it's not totally risk-free and it wouldn't be appropriate for everybody to, to fast at all. Yeah. Um, but this is the problem is that nowadays fasting has like, so from a weight loss perspective, depriving your body of calories is the fastest way to lose weight. If you add in exercise while not eating, you know, obviously this is the fastest way to, to lose weight. Like there's going to mm. be no better weight loss than that. That is no. a terrible idea, of course, because you'd be... Of course, it's not yeah. sustainable. <laughs> Ter- terrible. So, I mean, the, the world's longest fast is, is a, well, the world's longest published fast is a 382-day fast of this guy who, um, I think he was a university student, but he was, he was quite young. And he basically started doing a, a supervised fast in outpatient settings in the community. Um, and he was just drinking water and uh, they were monitoring his electrolytes for blood tests every so often. And you know, days 30 to 90, he was on potassium supplements or, or something like that. But basically, this, this guy was quite overweight, uh, you know, very, very overweight. And then by the time he finished the fast, he was uh, normal BMI, so, you know, 70 kilograms, whatever. And um, this is, you know, that's, that's the longest fast we had of this. Um, there were quite a few studies in the 70s and not quite 80s, I don't think, but in the 70s, there was quite a bit of research on fasting and people were um, people were getting behind it. They thought it was a good idea. Um, but then there were some deaths that happened. Mm, um, mm. And those deaths were primarily on people who were on medications. Um, mm. I, can't, I can't remember if there are any, I'd have to look at the numbers in the research, but off the top of my head, I don't think there were any um, that occurred in people who were not on some medication of some kind. And, you know, they got like, lactic acidosis or something Um, and so then this put the medical community off this in a big way and Mm. um, they started like the medical community started doing like protein sparing fasts or minimal calorie diet fasts and things so you know they'll give Mm. them 
600, 800 calories of some sort of liquid nonsense food, mm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and, and, and those were deemed to be safer. And so fasting has kind of resurged in the last few years because obviously from a first principles point of view, it's more effective than other approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is that it's been kind of, uh, it's been championed by a lot of people in the keto community, which doesn't, you know, it's kind of like um, ketosis is a, is, a, is a biochemical state that arises from, from fasting. So if you, if you sufficiently drop your um, blood glucose, then, well, your, your body keeps it sort of in a, in a range. But if it's going down, then your body starts secreting glucagon, and that glucagon drives the release of stored glycogen. So glycogen is the, is the store of, in the liver and in the muscles um, and other tissues of, um, of sugar. And so as your blood sugar drops, your body's releasing it. Yep, yep, release more, release more, release more, trying to keep your blood sugar in a steady state. But after about 24 hours, you've exhausted those supplies. I mean, you, mm. you know the physicality, of course. So this is mm. more for your listeners. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then so once you're in that state of ketosis, um, the, the keto crowd kind of, there are doctors out there and I won't name names, but they, they say stuff like, you know, they, they, they want ketosis at any cost, essentially. So if someone's in a state of ketosis, so they're down into the state where their blood sugar is very, very low. You know, there's, there's research on like cancers and, um, uh, and I can talk about that in a moment, but you know, there's basically, if you get your, if you get your um, blood sugar very low, it appears to be healthy for, for lots of things um, in, in um, various research. Um, and then you're in a state of ketosis, so your body makes up the difference and starts fueling um, you know, your brain and other areas with ketone bodies. And then these ketone bodies are, um, it, it looks to be like this is a health promoting state generally. And then uh, what happens is people say, oh, well, we've got to stay in ketosis. This is it. This is the state we must be in. And so then they start adding in bacon and eggs and butter. And it's like, what? You know, <laughs> this is crazy. It's like, that was not healthy before and it's not healthy now. So this keto at any cost is just nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Mm. And like, people should not be doing that. Um, mm. there, are, there is evidence for ketosis in, um, in like really poorly controlled seizures, but that's mm. about it. And yeah. even then, there has been some research in plant-based diets and seizures with some, with some reasonable results. Um, yeah. So I mean, the, the cancer stuff we can talk about later if you like. But, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, probably ketosis. Kind of stuff here, so. Ketosis, maybe I'll get you back to discuss. But maybe you had a whole show on keto, ketosis, and 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 whole paleo keto movement. Okay. Um, maybe sure. we'll do that another time. Um, All of these things are big, big uh, topics, so you know. Love the massive topics. Um, not doing, not, not yeah. doing them justice. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I think we've covered the fasting thing. You you talked about. I remember listening to you in Gisborne, and you were talking about you know that that the human body is designed to go into ketosis for periods of time um yes. it's quite a normal thing to have you know like in the way we live right now because we've got access to food constantly we never actually achieve that um but you know yes. evolutionarily we um kind of were you know in between periods where food was available we would naturally be fasting and and go into ketosis yeah. and then come back out of it can you just talk about that a little bit and then we'll go into some of the data you wanted yeah. to share around um the most topical subject of today will kind of like a little bit of a bonus yeah. for people who want to listen right to the end people who, people who make it that far right? yeah yeah. 
just switch off before you get triggered by the COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, evolution is a very powerful process. And mm. if people don't understand evolution and, and they're working in human biology, I mean, this is, this is criminal, you know? Mm-hmm. If, and so when we're not approaching the body from an evolutionary perspective, we're really doing our patients a disservice. Like it mm-hmm. really, it's, it's so important. So when I'm, when I'm thinking about problems that I don't quite understand or I don't have a good heuristic on, there, aren't, there isn't good published research, then I'll, I'll, I'll step back. I'll take, and, and, and this is kind of where that natural hygiene hypothesis Yeah, this is what we do as well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you kind of take a step back and you look at the first principles and you look at the, and, and I'll say to patients, look, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here, but for this reason, I think this would be a reasonable thing to do. And this would be the mm. pluses of that. This would be the, the minuses of that. Here are your alternatives. Here's the evidence for and against that I'm aware of. If you like, I can do some more research. We can discuss this again. You know, I'll, I'll just lay it out sort of in a, in a, in a bit of a methodical way. Mm. And so when it comes to evolution, I mean, processes in the body don't, uh, I mean, they don't happen by chance. If there was, like, evolution, evolution trims the metaphorical fat. Mm. If they're, like, so humans don't make vitamin C. You know, we have to get a steady source of vitamin C. It's the sort of, the voyages in the 1600s found that people were getting scurvy and then they, someone figured it out. They're, oh, wait, actually, look, have a, have a lemon once a week and you're fine. Mm. So, I mean, the, the huge scientific <laughs> advance at the time. Mm. But, yeah. I mean, humans don't make vitamin C, but cats do. So, mm. Um, cats are eating flesh. You know that's how they that's how they survive. They're eating mice and rodents and whatever. Um, humans uh, don't make vitamin C, so it's obvious that we need to be in an environment in which we are frequently being exposed to vitamin C in terms mm. of our consumption. And mm. if um, and, and this is just you know this is just straight evolution. Um, if there was a, a system in the body which takes up zero point one percent of your metabolic energy in a day. Making um, making vitamin C from scratch, and then someone else gets a mutation and they don't need it, but, but you know, they don't they don't make it, and then they they're consuming vitamin C regularly in the form of fresh vegetables and plants. Then over time, there would be a selection pressure towards the most advantageous route metabolically. Mm. And in this case, that would be someone who doesn't doesn't need to make that because we're already getting it from our environment. Mm. So, I mean, this is and this is you know. This is kind of my point here with the fasting. When you've got a, a very kind of expensive metabolic process going on, like a whole set of extra mechanisms to, to make your body um, do a certain thing. I mean, this is metabolically expensive behavior. And so it has mm. to be there for a reason. Mm. Um, and that reason is that food was not always readily available. And so, uh, you know, after that 24-hour period or so, you're in mm. a state of ketosis and then um, and in that state of ketosis, you're starting to burn fat as your primary mm. fuel, mm. um, and and you can go quite a while. Even even skinny people can go quite a while in that. Um, it varies mm. depending on how much tissue you've got stored. But yeah, um, I mean, this is this is a process that has always been there, and um, that was kind of getting people through that metabolic winter. Um, you know, the, if you if, if the population had gone had migrated to some sort of um, higher latitudes and um you know up in the sort of snow mm. three months of the year and then um they'll need to be able to sort of sit indoors essentially and, and wait out the winter while there's less food around so mm. you can't grow anything it's probably these animals to hunt and mm. um, as a result you'd, you'd need to have these processes in place so i mean yeah 
that's kind of the, the 101 for evolution. Mm. Well, that's an interesting concept. So do you think that over time, like, I don't know how long it will take, but because we're not really using that, that very expensive process very often, yeah. do you think over time we may selectively lose the ability to do that? Uh, we would in a purely, um, you know, in a, uh, evolution is often called, um, you know, survival of the fittest, but that's mm. a bit, that's, that's not quite the case. It's, survival of the most fit genes for that environment and mm. so if we were if we were to leave um natural selection to do its thing over time then we would see potentially some some changes there however mm. um you know one of darwin's other tenets was also um sexual selection so um you know there's other there's other facets to evolution um and so often there are processes that occur which are which, which don't seem to be the most efficient thing in a given environment, but um, sexual selection will uh, sometimes give rise to those. So, um, you know, there'll be like, I mean, we're getting a bit off topic here. But yeah, that's fun though. But, <laughs> you know, like, I suppose that's the podcast format, isn't it really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, um, you know, peacock feathers are a, um, are a classic example of this. And so, you know, the, these are very expensive uh, things to have. So, to maintain a healthy set of feathers, you know, the males have these very, very lush mm. colorful feathers mm. and to maintain those and to be able to survive despite having these extremely long feathers um, is, is obviously means that this, that this, um, this peacock is, is very fit. So, you know, they can get away from their tigers or whatever natural predators. If, that, if their um, tail feathers are, you know, going on six feet long, then that means that they must be very, very fast in order to, you know, they must have great hearing or whatever. Mm. So there's a bunch mm. of sort of um, costs to having that, that set of um, physical characteristics, but um, it is being overridden, uh, mm. you know, so from a natural selection point of view, that might be selected out. But from a sexual selection point of view, the females are saying, well, this, um, you know, this, this peacock's got these really amazing lush feathers and they're still alive. So they must have something mm. going on. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, interesting. All right. So just to recap, um, with the fasting thing, I think I think you know I, I'm really glad you covered that in such good detail. So you know, there's some real good benefits, and I guess the research is still emerging around the benefits of fasting and things like that. But you know, there have been amazing instances of people um, recovering from things that are not seen very often through fasting and things like that. But yeah, there's a caveat in fasting is that yes, it's probably if, when you talk about the natural hygiene side of things like you know you remove all the bad things and literally when you're fasting you're not you're just here drinking water right so you're just removing anything that could be damaging yeah. to the body um and there's the there's the benefit that the body has the ability to to technically to heal itself um yeah. in, in a lot of cases but then you've also got the other side of it where if you try and do it by yourself or you don't have a full understanding of the risks before you start doing it could be dangerous in, 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 in certain situations. So, yeah. you know, anybody out there thinking, oh, this sounds great, I'll just go and fast, you know, just just hold off. <laughs> and, and you know, maybe like, you know, one or two days here or there, not a problem. Maybe one or two days by yourself is not a problem. But if you want to do an extended fast, then, then probably go to somewhere that's that's got a lot of experience in doing that, like True North Health Centre. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't recommend a treatment to a person without really seeing them. And, I mean, no, I, I think I'd have to. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think um, like it's it's definitely got benefits. The you know the question with fasting has been for a long time: Are there benefits to fasting above and beyond a healthy diet? And good, so good call. Yeah. From, a, from, 
from a natural hypothesis, uh, natural hygiene hypothesis, which is, you know, remove all the bad stuff and then you get better. Um, not clearly the case like that, you mm. know, even within that principle, because you could, um, you know, over time you could provide less um, harm to the body consistently in small periods. And that might give you the same result as someone who fasts for a week. And so yep. you might get the same yep. benefit. Yeah. I, I personally suspect that there are benefits to fasting above and beyond a healthy diet, but I don't have the data to back that up. Mm. I, I think that, um, you know, you're, you're activating ketosis, which I think is a health promoting state in other ways. Mm. Um, so I, I do suspect that there are some um, health benefits above and beyond just, just diet, mm. but mm. it hasn't been borne out well in the literature. And yeah, yeah, I would echo your um, your comments about like people just going gung ho and getting into it. I would say, look, get in contact with you know Dr. Stark and Christchurch in New Zealand, mm-hmm. or um, um, you know overseas uh, True North. There are there are some other ones, but mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't do unguided um, fasts. No. I mean, I've had patients come in to see me, and I've they've been in the middle of a fast and they're doing all sorts of random, really, really not mm. good things, taking all these supplements and doing all mm-hmm. this stuff. And I'm like, no, no. this is so dangerous. <laughs> yeah, Please yeah, stop. Yeah. stop. And I've actually, stop, I've yeah. actually told them very carefully, uh, I told them very clearly, look, what you're doing is extremely dangerous. You should not be taking this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, but I read, it. I read it on a Facebook forum that you can do a 12-day fast with regular potassium supplements and a bit of this. I'm like, this is just wacky. Like, we mm. don't have any... We don't have mm. any baseline bloods. Mm. We don't know what your health status is prior mm. to this. Like, this is not supervised or monitored appropriately. No, no, no. So, yeah. and the other I'm, thing with I'm fasting quite, is, yeah. the other thing with fasting is that um, you need to have a game plan for what you're going to do after you finish, because mm. you may get that benefit in that in the time frame where you're fasting. But if you go back to doing what you were doing before. You're just going to have the same problems you had before you started to fast. So, um, you know, if if you're going to do it, you know, one of, one of these centers will obviously give you that game plan. Um, otherwise, you know, the best thing to do, I think, for, from my point of view, the best thing to do is shift to a whole food plant based diet. And then, depending on your condition, um, you know, with the IBD, you can't just go and eat a full broad spectrum of of whole plant foods because they might not digest properly, depending on what your situation is. But um, you know, if you're not sure, get some guidance from someone who's got results that you're after, you know, have they sure. delivered yeah. the outcomes that you want in other people if they have, then, then go and see them, you know, and, and get some advice <laughs> before you go. I, mean, I, I agree. Like I, I do, um, I do like a fair bit of peer review, like, which is the you know, scientific process of when someone creates an article and they send it on. And mm. so I've got a few different journals that send on stuff to me and, I get quite a lot of fasting stuff and I'll tell you what, there are some really bad side effects with the uh, refeeding um, mm. syndrome. Uh, you know, mm. you can, you can get some quite, quite bad negative outcomes. People can mm. die. Um, mm. So it's not just, you, you can't go into this in ignorance. Um, mm. Whole food plant-based diet, you're not going to die. If you have your B12 and you eat enough food. That's fine. Mm. But, mm. Um, but, but fasting, fasting, I think, you know, my personal uh, thought is that it probably ha- offers some benefits above and beyond a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. I don't know that for a fact, um, mm. and um, and it does carry some some significant risks. So I, I certainly yeah. wouldn't recommend it generally. I know I don't you. want to be. I'm of, with you on that. Yeah. Be, yeah, yeah. I don't want to scare people away. From <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be health promoting. Yeah, I also want, yeah. I, I also want to speak to the to the limits of our evidence here, which is that mm. the evidence on fasting for me is. Is not conclusive enough to be saying yes. We, we emphatically recommend this. 
Um, there is some good evidence on it, and if people reach out, I can provide them some, you know, guidance on what what evidence there is. But yeah, I can give you some links or something. But I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff written out there. We just want to make sure we're doing things evidence based. You know, oh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, Okay, just to finish off the session, you you had some interesting information uh, that you wanted to share mm. around the the whole, you know, I guess um, SARS-CoV-2 situation and COVID-19. So, um, you know, we're always up here to to share the evidence and and give give information to people. Um, and so, you know, like um, whatever you feel like sharing, I'm I'm happy for you to talk about it. And you know around the whole public health side of things you know because i've talked about this before and um you know in september i did a i did a, a interview with robin tudor where we talked about you know when you make an intervention if you focus on one area then you may ignore certain things that happen over here without realizing it um and i think that's one of the things we've done quite dramatically is only focused on one thing at the at the expense of a whole lot of other um you know conditions and, and and diseases and you know like just a simple example when you have a lockdown um people aren't getting cancer treatments as easily and so now you're gonna you know long term you're gonna have problems with um you know people not getting early treatment for cancers for example you know just something simple like that where you know yeah potentially but we have seen that happen here in australia i mean you know um so um that's kind of I don't know where you want to start with it, but I'm I'm happy to leave the floor open to you as to how much information. Um, I think I think um, well, I mean, there's a lot that can be said about COVID, and and um, you know, this is this has affected all of our lives over the last few years, and so um, everyone's 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 got an opinion on this, don't they? Um, mm. You know, there's there's, there's there's so much out there on COVID that I think first of all we've got to be cognizant of the limits of our knowledge here, so. Not one person can possibly know all of the information on this. Like, absolutely, I have spent a lot of time reading about you know weight loss and obesity and diabetes, whatever you know. But but there is no way that I could ever learn all of the things about weight loss. You know, I could just I could there you know there would be mm. diminishing returns, but I could just never learn them all. And mm. COVID, I mean, there is a lot more on COVID stuff out there than mm. could possibly ever be covered in hundred lifetimes. So um, I come from the point of view, when I'm approaching this stuff, I'm, my first thought is, okay, is what they're saying based in evidence and, and what is the strength of that evidence in supporting those claims? So I try and keep an open mind to it and I try and keep mm-hmm. an open mind to what people are saying about things. And then I try and evaluate those on the best evidence. And if there's no evidence, then I try and evaluate that on the best first principles as I can mm-hmm. apply to that situation. So, I think um, I think you'll find lots and lots of different opinions out there, and um, yeah, I mean I don't want to get too much into controversial stuff because no. that's not gonna, I don't think that's what we're here for. But no, I think um, I mean focusing on the sort of plant-based diet side of things, I think it's been a, it's been a real shame that we've not seen much emphasis on the lifestyle because mm. this is pretty obvious stuff. I mean, to anyone who's worked in health, you know, the, the health arena. Uh, it's, it's pretty obvious that this was going to be helpful because we know it's mm. been helpful for pretty much every other condition. So um, you know, this is how <laughs> the body runs effectively and efficiently. Mm. This is what it does. Is it works better under certain circumstances. You know, if you're tired and deprived, you know, you're going to be, you know, you haven't had enough sleep. You, you're going to be feeling it. You're going to feel sleepy. And you, 
Mm. You're going to be making kilometers of errors. And mm. if you're running your body in the wrong fuel constantly, you're going to make yourself more susceptible to infections and inflammation and cancer and whatever. Mm. I mean, it's just mm. common sense. Um, the, the evidence for um, you know, mitigation of COVID-19, either symptoms or severe illness, is pretty clear with a plant-based diet. So there have been mm. a couple of good analyses now. There was a, uh, uh, um, a letter to the editor from Neil Barnard and Anna Kaliova, I think her name is. Yeah, just um, recently. Yeah. The other, it was just recently, yeah. And they basically showed uh, on their analysis a 40% reduction in severe illness. Um, mm -hmm. Other other um, sources have said 70%. And that's, um, yeah, 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 I think in the UK they did a study, they did a study in the NHS where plant-based people, yeah. plant doctors are on a plant-based diet had a 73% um, yeah. reduction in, in severe COVID yeah. outcomes. Um, and people who are on a high-protein diet had a 48% increase in severe yes. outcomes. Yes. So that's yes. right, that's Yeah, funny. so if I read that correctly. Like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah. not, not funny, but like, mm, I, no. I, I, I mean, that's, that study had problems, but I mean, and, and again, any of these studies do, but this is, this is in the absence of randomized evidence and when mm. we're in a situation of um, needing to uh, act quickly and yeah. minimize harm. And a lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of the interventions have been done on minimal evidence that have been rolled out in, in quite a dramatic way. So, I mean, you can't just say, okay, the study had, had some limitations, but so, so did all the other. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to be more specific. Um, yeah. But yeah. yes, I mean, like, um there have been you know if we're if we're talking on a specific study i mean no i'm just talking about common sense right we don't haven't had the time to evaluate anything as rigorously as we'd want to and then we've decided to make a decision we've done that in yeah. the absence of time that's what i'm kind of talking about when we've made a decision that's had a quite a dramatic outcome we've made that decision on with a reduction of time and so if I you had more time you may have made a different decision yeah. but yeah i agree look i think um yeah i mean i'm just yeah I'm I'm pretty conservative. You're not going to get me. You're not going to get me saying. I'm not asking you to say crazy, but, um, I think. Um, look, I, I think. Yeah, the the, the plant-based diet and and COVID stuff is is clearly beneficial. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it maybe not clearly, but like there's a, there's a preponderance of evidence which supports this quite strongly. And and fairly large data sets. So hmm. you know, and we've had we've had evidence. Previously, from like other respiratory tract conditions, which shows a plant-based diet is is really effective in reducing the outcomes of that as well. You know, it's not just this one. Um, I think I saw a study that showed that you know eating just one apple a day can reduce your risk of a RTI fourteen percent. You know, like yeah. just something, just little that. things like that. Um, That's great. Yeah. I don't. I'm not sure the exact percentage now. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was fourteen percent. If I remember correctly, but there was a, interesting. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, it's it's very reasonable to be making healthy lifestyle changes, and I mean, of course, obesity. I mean, this is mm. one of it's not the main risk factor. Age appears to be the main risk factor, but obesity is a is a significant risk factor. So, mm. um, yeah, this is this is something that people really should be more aware of as as a risk factor for COVID. And I don't think we've done a great job in terms of the public health messaging. It's been you know vaccinate, isolate, test. And there's been very little sort of treatment. Like, hey, look, actually, a plant-based diet is treatment, mm. you know, potentially while you have it, but also in the in, you know, prior Prevention. to getting it. This is, this is important to do. Mm. We need to, mm. as a pandemic, we need to, we need to play all the stops. And yeah. so when we 
you know, when we're in this situation, I think it'd be, it would have been very reasonable to say, look, don't smoke, increase exercise. Yeah. Yeah. There's a real opportunity to try and get the public who was actually wanting to listen to understand how to make some, it may not, you know, make all the changes that, you know, you and I would like people to make, but it was a real good opportunity. I think a missed opportunity to discuss, well, what are the fundamental aspects of a healthy lifestyle and, and actually have a discussion and a, and a proper open debate about the pros and cons of each, each different decision that that we were making and, and and actually tell people okay you know i mean you see it all the time you know people are people are still having their cigarettes drinking lots of alcohol all these are increased risk factors for for um you know respiratory tract infections um yeah. poor diet extra weight um pre-existing conditions um you know yeah. diabetes and heart disease and cancer all of these increase your risk um so yeah i think i think there's probably if we talk about the maybe the the big thing that we would have liked to have seen is, is actually a discussion in the public forum around how to, you know, improve overall lifestyle that will actually improve your, your chances of reducing the severity if you do catch yeah. it. Yeah. So, you know, both information and, um, you know, not, not just disseminating information, but also actually maybe helping people put it into place. Mm. Um, Making it easy to find. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think again, like you guys, like what you, what you and Shamiz are doing is, I mean, this is pioneering stuff. I mean, there's, mm. there, there, there's nothing going on with, in terms of the lifestyle bowel stuff. Like, I mean, Alan Desmond's got his, his work, but that's an online program as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, and the results, I mean, the results you guys are getting are, is essentially world beating stuff. I mean, there's nothing that I'm aware of that is getting consistently as good of results as what you guys are getting in terms mm. of, in terms of you know reversal of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, I mean, this is yeah. it's it's incredible. And um, so, I mean, first of all, like good on you guys for keeping at it. So I know you've been doing it for a while. I think I remember reading your web, website in like 2013. Yeah. I was like, oh, I should get in touch with those guys. It sounds interesting. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time, and and you know the, the all those testimonials and things. I'm, I mean, I know from my own work that for every one person that comes forward wanting to share a testimonial, there's many more behind that. Um, and so... Yeah. We've clocked past and, 100 on our way to 150 video testimonials of people healing ulcerative yeah. colitis. Remarkable. Yeah. Remarkable. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the thing about like um, plant-based nutrition and you know, fasting, all these sorts of amazing interventions is that it's hard to provide like equal poise with... with talking to people about these treatments because they're so exciting mm. and so beneficial mm. and so little arms when done properly mm. um that it's it's just amazing and like you know you really want to share this with people and say look this is a really exciting uh, amazing treatment that you could use that would really make your life better mm. um but it's not always that easy you know people in terms of the, the situation i'm in it's, it's a little tricky but what you guys are doing i think is is and you definitely hit on something in terms of your approach in terms yeah. of um, how successful it is, uh, and in terms of the results, I mean, incredible. So, yeah. I think I think you guys um, really deserve to be recognised for the, the work that you're doing and the, and the results that you're getting. And um, yeah, and I'm, I continue to refer patients to your to your work. I mean, I, well, thank you. I think that you've, you've met the threshold of evidence, which I think is is good enough for people to be using your product and things. I think mm -hmm. I think yeah, you know, it's not we haven't got like published. 
research necessarily, but we've got well, we, we love that. If anyone if anyone wants to fund some research, <laughs> let, let us know. <laughs> it's always the issue, isn't it? Yeah, it's always, it comes out to yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, what you're doing is great, and I think, uh, and I think, um, you know, long may that continue. I think you guys have, have fought uh, really hard to get where you're at, and mm. uh, from here, I think it'll only get easier because it's just the, the sort of it's like a snowball rolling down the mountainside, mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you know, and and the, the longer we do this, the more you know we base our recommendations on on um you know there's so much evidence like dr shiva in in japan is doing some incredible research on plant-based diets um the latest study he came out with was that um uh, a five-year follow-up showed that on a plant-based diet there were 88 percent of the people were still in remission yeah like, imagine that so so when are you going to publish <laughs> who knows <laughs> who knows man? one day we'll yeah. see um but um yeah look man look it was a complete um pleasure having this chat you know it's always good to see you um yes and you know i'd love to we have to probably do it again because there's so much to discuss um but we're kind of out of time right now but um yeah uh thank you so much for joining joining us here today very good thank you very much yeah so just just before i go people who are watching this on um or listening to this on on the podcast you know please share this and subscribe if you haven't done so already and if you're watching on youtube uh give dr nick a, a like yeah give him a thumbs up he's done a great you know, he's done really well explaining a lot of different concepts here today um if you have any questions there's a comment section below so you know ask away and we'll do our best to answer and if you haven't subscribed and you want to see more uh informative videos like this please hit that subscribe button and a little bell notification which will give you uh an update every time we release a new video so um, thank you guys for, for being here and, and um, joining us today and um, you know, make sure that you eat plants and lots of them. Take care and thank you, Nick. Very good. Cheers.